And so let me make some confessions to you. <laughs> I was very much tempted not to preach this message today. My wife will attest to that. I felt like I was off the hook. Since last Sunday, they messed up my flow. <laughs> right? So I'm figuring, you know, it's all good. I don't, I don't have to do this, you know, and, 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 and I can just not preach this message because it's going to be sensitive. Amen. It's going to, in, in, this, in this climate, I, you feel the tension, right? I mean, I know I feel it. I feel it like, oh, my goodness. What did he say? Glory to God. Just, just relax. Relax. We're going to be on the same page, I hope, by the end of all of this. But I was tempted not to do it. I told my wife, I said, man, I'm not going to preach this. She was like, baby, you need to preach what God has put in your heart. And now I want you to get this. I didn't start preparing for this message last week. For months, I've been in the book of Proverbs. For months, I've been praying and laboring over the scriptures. For months, I've been asking God to speak to my heart. And as I was going through the book of Proverbs, I told you I broke this thing down into different topics. And one of the topics was national blessing. That's the title of the message this morning, national blessing. And can God really bless a nation? And so here's the thing. In light of our upcoming election, to speak on this topic is not only sensitive, but is vital to allow the scriptures to communicate unto us the wisdom of God with regard to the keys to the blessing of a nation. Can I get an amen? amen. Not, 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 I, I want to say this because I, I want to defuse your tension because I know why you're so tense right now, right? Because you're afraid that I'm going to start talking about political parties and positions and all of this craziness. Can I, can, can I defuse you real quick? That's not what we're going to talk about today. Can, can, can you loosen up? Just loosen up. See, I didn't wear a tie today, so I can tell you, loosen up. Amen? Because I want us to be serious. I, I, I don't want us to look at this thing the wrong way. I, I don't want us to look at things outside of the scope of Scripture. It's important that we hear what the Scriptures say. Here's the thing that I want you to get. If you don't get anything else that I say in this message, Christians need to look at this nation not from a deistic point of view. And what I mean is that we do not need to look at this nation like deist, meaning that we believe that God created the earth, but then he backed up and said, y'all figure it out on your own. You get what I said? Because that's how we act many times. And we'll look at other scriptures and we'll see what I'm talking about. But my biggest burden in my heart, my, my biggest burden in my heart, above anything else, I'm going to say this flat out. In my heart of hearts, I want God's will for this nation about all things. Amen? That's what I want. That's what you should want because you're a Christian. You should desire God's will for this nation. The next, or, or the, if, if President Obama becomes president, I want God's will because the Bible says what? God establishes, say that with me, God establishes all authority. I want his will, not Jason's will. Forget about Bishop for a moment. Not Jason's will. Not what Jason wants. I want God's will. I want him to be the one who directs the affairs of the nations. And when I think like a deist, I forget God is the one who is on the throne. God is the one who blesses nations. God is the one who lifts nations up and casts nations down. I forget that God is the one who holds the economy in his hand. I forget that it is God that I need to be more concerned about. Too many times we think like it's all up to us. Church, this is why I want to preach this message, because it's not on our shoulders. It is not up to us. It is up to Almighty God. And what we need to do is we need to come together as the body of Christ, as we will do today, and continue to pray and lift up our nation. In this climate, listen, I have never seen, oh my goodness, I'm going to quote Ed Stetzer. He said this. He said, I think four days ago, he said, in five days, the election will be over and people can go back to not hating each other so much. You can laugh. Listen, the fact of the matter is, God is still in charge. When I read this scripture, chapter 14 of the book of Proverbs in verse 34, he says this, righteousness exalts a nation. Say that with me. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to all people. This is not, I want, I want you to understand something. This didn't say righteousness exalts the nation of Israel. That's not what this said. This is a blanket statement coming from the king of Israel. 
speaking in general terms. And he says, righteousness exalts a nation. If you look at history in general, you will see this as truth. I'll go to this later on, but I want to touch on it now. Jonah goes to preach to Nineveh. Y'all know the story. Now, the beauty of Jonah being stuck in the Old Testament and this, this book being stuck back there is that Nineveh was not the nation of Israel. Nineveh did not have the law of God being preached to them by the priesthood. Are y'all in hearing me? Nineveh did not have any of that. And yet, Nineveh was accountable to who? I only got three of those. Who was Nineveh accountable to? Wait a second, but they didn't have his word. How can they be accountable to something that they don't have? Who is the king of kings? Oh, wait a second. We think something has changed. Wait a second. Don't we, don't we quote this all the time? Saying yesterday, today, forevermore. Talking about Jesus, right? Bishop, we're talking about Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And Jesus, in the beginning, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so Nineveh is this nation. But look at what happens. Jonah comes and proclaims to them. Forty days, destroyed. What do they do? They repented of their sin, righteousness, exalted a nation. What did God do? He didn't destroy them until 150 years later. You know what the Bible says? He changed his mind. God, not Jonah. God changed. Oh, well, well, that doesn't fit in my theology. I don't care. It's in your Bible. Make it fit. Don't explain it away. He changed his mind. He relented from doing what? From pouring out his wrath upon a heathen nation before the cross. How much more do you think that he's involved in the affairs of nations now? And let me give you a modern day example. And I heard this from a pastor who was preaching a powerful message. I'm going to forward you guys the message after the election. Hallelujah. I, I didn't forward it on purpose because some of you will get offended thinking that I'm trying to, you know, get your vote for something. No. This pastor preached something. He said, listen, modern history shows us something about this sin being a disgrace to all people. When, 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 when the Nazi nation, when, when, when the Nazi Germany rose up, what happened? Did not God raise up allied forces to bring destruction to them? Because sin is a disgrace to all people. And so please hear my heart when I, when I cry out this message today. Because God is not silent when it comes to politics. Let me say this also. And I learned this. I, di I didn't realize that I looked at the word politic, and, and, and it's with a C-K, not just with a C at the end of it. And when you look at that word, that word means to, to do what? To influence. And so we are not supposed to just be silent when it comes to the topic of politics. But what we are not supposed to do is play politics. Are you with me? We're supposed to try to influence. Amen? That, that, that's, that, hold on a second. We are supposed to influence, and I will talk about this later on at the end as well, because we are salt. If salt is not influencing, it's not salt. <laughs> Y'all ain't saying nothing. If salt is not changing something, it's not salt. When you put salt on a steak, does it change the steak or does the steak change the salt? We, have a, we, have a, we, 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 we now have steak salt. Is that what it is? That, that don't make no sense. We have a seasoned steak. Oh, glory to God. Y'all, y'all loosen up a little bit. Glory to God. I got to take my jacket off. Y'all, y'all just loosen up. Hear, hear me. I, as soon as I say the word politics, they're like, oh, don't, don't, don't get crazy. What I'm trying to say is don't be afraid of it. Let me tell you another reason why I, didn't, why I chose not to not preach on this. Because, you know, when I looked at the New Testament, the Apostle Paul designates a whole chapter talking about politics. Did you know that? What are you talking about, Bishop? Well, Romans chapter 13, what do you think that's about? It's about the politics of his day. There's nothing in there about voting. You want to know why? You didn't vote back then. Hello, somebody. All you did was just submit it, and you were just like, yo, if they kill me, it's for the glory of Jesus. That's it. That's what, that, that, that's what you did. But he talked about it. Peter talks about it. When he talks about submission to governing authorities, that's their political talk of the day. You read your Bible, it's full of history about politics. Full of it. And so listen. What is the most important thing that we see in all of these stories in the scripture? It wasn't about the king on the throne. It was about the king on the throne. Y'all ain't hearing me. 
It wasn't about the person in authority. It was about the one who reigns and rules. It wasn't about the king. It was about the king of kings. It wasn't about the Lord. It was about the Lord of lords. That's what Paul's whole conversation is about in chapter 13 and the submission. And we'll look at that together as well. Wisdom does not cry, does not stop and when, when we come to the place of politics, but we're not supposed to play politics. And what does that mean? And this becomes an ugly word because of the way that we have it. In other words, we don't just fit in like a chameleon wherever we go. That's playing politics. We don't not speak up the truth of God's word because it may offend somebody. That's playing politics. What we do as Christians is do what? What does the Bible instruct Christians to do? It instructs them to speak the truth harshly. It tells them, beat people up with the truth. Face smack them up. No. Speak the truth in love. Now, let me tell you something. I fall short of that. Listen, I, I will confess my sin openly. If you go to my Facebook page, you'll see some things that I had a conversation. I wasn't as loving as I should be in some of those conversations. And let me tell you something. For that, I repent before you because that is bad as me as a Christian brother. But understand something. It doesn't take away the truth from anything. Not at all. It doesn't reduce the truth. What it does, it hinders people from hearing the truth. Speak the truth in love. Don't play politics. The most important thing in the purpose of this message is that above everything else, our desire should be God's blessing upon our nation. That should be our desire. God's blessing upon our nation. You think he can do it? Okay, I got three people that said yes. All right, well, we'll go with you. We can pray together. Two or three gather together in their name. The rest of y'all can leave. The ones that say yes, we can pray. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to convince the rest of y'all with this. Listen, that's what we should be seeking. That's what we, that, that's, that's what we should be desiring. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that we've been called out of darkness, right, into this marvelous light. It says that we have been now, we were not a people, now we are a people. That's what the scripture says, right, that we now are this holy nation, this royal priesthood. What is all that about? All that is about so that we, wherever we are, we can influence our society and we can call upon God to bring blessing where we are. That is what I believe that our job is as Christians. And I want to say this and make this crystal clear. Political powers can't revive our nation. But they can lead our nation further astray from the truth. They cannot revive our nation. No matter what we legislate, we can take our Bible and we can take every single law that is in the scriptures. And that will not make our nation righteous in its heart. But what we can do is we can allow other things to happen in our nation, legislate against the scriptures, and now we have a problem. So let's be balanced on the topic. Amen? Righteousness. Say this with me. Righteousness and sin are two opposing actions. Let's look back at our scripture here. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Understand this, please. A nation's definition, and, we're gonna, and we will reference Nineveh as a good example, a nation's definition of righteousness must be aligned with and measured by the scriptures in order for them to be lifted up, to be exalted to a place. And, when, and the Bible teaches clearly that there is one who lifts up and the same one puts down. And who is that? It is God Almighty. And so righteousness is what exalts a nation. In our nation, the definition of righteousness is constantly being challenged. And so here's what I'll say. You cannot condone sin in an effort to act righteously. Let me say that again. You cannot condone sin in an effort to act righteously and call that righteousness. It doesn't work that way. Cannot do that. That's not righteousness. That's not righteousness by God's standards. For an act to be counted as righteous, and hear this because I really want you to get what I'm going to say. This is specifically for you. You call yourself a Christian, this every single word I'm about to say applies to you. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove the words that don't apply to heathens. Listen to me. For an act to be counted as righteousness before God, it must be pure in motive. Meaning this, it must be for the glory of Jesus and for the benefit of others. That's the first part. 
as well, it must be aligned with the scriptures, bringing glory to Jesus, not violating God's commands or his character. Now, let me tell you what. All of that applies to us as Christians. If we're Christians, we should do what? The reason why the righteousness, the Bible says that men, that, that our righteousness in and of itself is what? Like filthy rags. Even our good works. Listen, when we go, uh, hear me, when you, when you have not put your faith in Jesus, meaning that you have not said, Jesus, I can't save myself. When you have not done that and you go and you feed a homeless person, that was for their benefit. It didn't bring glory to Jesus the way that it should have from your heart. Listen, the motive was not from you to glorify him. Now, us as Christians, it's a different scenario. If you are a Christian, now listen to me. If you are a Christian, let me, let me, let me fix that because I know someone thought something funny. It is not that it does not bring glory to Jesus in the ultimate sense. It is that it does not bring glory to Jesus from your heart. In the ultimate sense, someone will see it as God bless them. You heard the story, right, of the old lady. She was crying out. She was crying, God, 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 I need food. God, I need food. And she's praying every day, every day, every day. Her neighbor was an atheist. The atheist, he was sick of hearing her cry out to God every day. God, feed. I need food. I don't have money. And so one day, he goes, he knocks on the door, and, and she opens the door. He's got a bag full of groceries. He's like, here you go. And she says, wow, God used the devil to bless me. <laughs> Listen, she acknowledged it was God. She, he was trying to say, Isn't, God is not answering you. I'm answering you. What did she do? She recognized who the blesser was. That was the vessel. The point is, for us to do things that are going to bring glory to God, then what should happen? What should happen is, and this, this is the application that I'll give to those who don't know God, it must be pure motives. Pure motives. People can think. Now, this is my, now some people will argue with me theologically on this. But whether you know Jesus or not, I believe that you can think about the benefit of other people. I believe that we, I believe that there are heathens, and when I say heathens, I don't want to offend anyone. There are people who do not walk with Jesus. There are people who don't think about Jesus, and yet they think about the benefit of others. They do things to be nice to others, not for the glory of Jesus, for the benefit of others. And so that is part of the application for righteousness. So that's a good thing because we want to do things with good motives as a nation. But here is the other part that still brings application. The actions must align with the scriptures. Can't bring glory to Jesus in the ultimate sense, right? Because they're not, we're not talking about Christians. But our actions should not violate the commands of God. Are you hearing me? So when I look at the scriptures, how do we, what, what, what can help our nation? This, this just helps me, so I hope it will help you. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs. How do we adjust or how do we look at righteousness from a biblical perspective and what are some ways that we can do that? Turn to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 23 through 25. And it says these things. It says, these things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality and judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. So the first thing is, I would say, in order for us to measure our righteousness as an individual and even as a nation, we can't call evil good. We cannot call evil good. No matter how good it looks on one side, we cannot call evil good, period. Amen? We agree. Hallelujah. Let's move over. Next chapter. Chapter 25, verse 4 through 5. It says this. It says, take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. It's a purification process. He says, take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Okay. What is this talking about? On one side, the first part of the example is you remove the filthiness from the silver, and it's, and it's good for what? It's good for jewelry. It's good for what it's used for. We just, we just looked at another scripture, righteousness exalts a nation. That means that we would like leaders, amen, whose seat of authority is established in righteousness. How does that happen? You remove wicked counsel. So on a national level, stop listening to people who are ungodly in their motive. Hello? Stop listening to counsel that violates scripture. You do that, and what is the Bible? Not Jason. 
What does the Bible say? Not me. Don't argue, because you want to argue with me. I, listen, I don't have a dog in the hunt. I'm not running for office. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. What, I, what, 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 what the scriptures teach is a throne will be established in authority. Now, let me, now let, let me bring this to a personal application. It's the same thing for us in our lives. We all have authority in our life in some way, shape, or form, some place. Don't listen to ungodly counsel. If you want to walk in righteousness, if you want to, if you want to experience the, the blessing of God, do what? Don't listen to ungodly counsel. The next scripture we'll turn to is, is, is Proverbs 28 and verse 4. It says this, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with him. You forsake the law, you do what? Come on, just quote the scriptures. You, you, know, you don't got to get, I mean, you don't have to be real deep and theological. You praise the wicked. You applaud them. But such as keep the law contend with them. Such as keep the law contend with them. Now let me say something. I, I, I want to make this clear. The church should not expect the government to do their job. Come on, I, I, know, I, I know I can get some more amens on that. Because we all agree on that. The church should not expect the government to do their job. Write this scripture down. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. It tells us that we are not supposed to partake of the fruitless deeds of darkness. But it doesn't stop there. It says rather exposing them. Oh, I love that. You know how you expose stuff? Turn the lights on. You know how you expose stuff? Open your mouth and say, hey, that's black and that ain't supposed to be black. One time I went to buy a suit, right? I, I, when I went to buy the suit, to me, because I'm like colorblind, y'all. I'm just letting you know that. My wife is always, but the other day I went to buy a tie. The tie was brown. I thought it was black. And she's like, babe, you wearing a black? I said, all right, my bad. <laughs> went to buy a suit a couple years ago. When I go to buy the suit, you know, I'm looking at the jacket. and I'm like, the jacket fits nice. I, you know, I put the pants on. Pants are okay. So, you know, he's doing the thing. When I came back, he was like, listen, you got to come back because we have the wrong pants with that jacket. He said, he said they were hung up wrong, and we didn't notice until we were doing the tailoring that there was, it was different. If he would have never said anything, you know what I would have done? I would have left that place looking crazy. I would have been wearing that suit, and you all would have been like, what's wrong with Bishop? He thinks he's matching, man. Right? It, it would have been a mess. The point of the matter is, you know how you expose that? It was because someone was paying attention, and they spoke up. Church, please hear me. It is our job to contend for righteousness. It is our job to expose the, fruit, the fruitless deeds of darkness. Now, here's what I want you to get, and it, it is this. The laws of our land are meant to do what? They're meant to govern the people of the land. In our nation, we have the right to influence laws. Now, listen, if you don't agree with this, then you didn't vote in Florida just a moment ago. For those of you that voted early, I have never in my entire life seen so many amendments ever. Seriously. I, I was like, there's like two pages front and back with amendments, glory to God. Why? Because they're asking our opinion on the laws of our land. So listen, don't tell me that you don't have a right to influence. They're asking your opinion. The problem is we don't want to speak up because we don't want to offend anyone. Listen, you know, you, you, you know what it is when I vote on something? I am simply expressing my opinion. That's what I'm doing. That is all that I'm doing. And so we have a right to influence the laws of our land because of what? Because we do not live in a monarchy. Hello? We live in this democratic republic. We have this opportunity to vote on stuff and to communicate things. So here's what I want you to get, Christians, is this. There is no reason that you as a Christian should feel like your opinion is less valuable in your society than someone else. Do not feel like you cannot voice your opinion. Do not feel like you cannot express yourself. Because Listen. You need to think about what the scriptures teach, and that's how we live. Amen? At the same time, we must always keep this in mind. Please, because I, 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 I got to come back to this. Laws do not change men's hearts. They only govern actions. 
And even though their actions by most will be governed, there will still be some who will violate those laws. There's laws against child abuse. Do people still abuse children? There's laws against all kinds of stuff. And man, because we're wicked, we are sinful. The only thing that changes hearts is the gospel. That is what changes hearts. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God not only establishes all authority, he ultimately directs their decisions. Turn to Proverbs 21 and verse 1 so we can confirm that in the scriptures. And you got to say so. It says this. It says the king's heart. Whose heart? The king's heart, meaning the ruler's heart, the leader's heart, is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it whatever he wishes. So from the book of Romans chapter 13 that I already quoted, and we could go, and I'm not going to read through it for time's sake, but if we go through the book of Romans, we learn some stuff in the book of Romans. And it is that God himself establishes all authority in context of what Romans chapter 13 is talking about. He is talking about government authority. That's the reason why he talks about paying taxes. Yes, he does. He talks about paying customs. Yes, he does. He talks about honor and fear. Why? Because all of those things have to do with the political system. And let me say this really quickly. That, that, that political system was corrupt. They were corrupt, and Paul was still telling them, God establishes all authority. That's what he said. And then you come to the book of Proverbs. I want you to notice something in the book of Proverbs. When it says the king's heart, it doesn't say the saved king's heart. It doesn't say the king who knows the Bible, his heart. That isn't what the scriptures say. Listen, you look at your Bible. Look at Esther. Look at Esther. I mean, she's a great example of how God takes the heart of the king and turns it. Want to talk about politics? That, that, that was a political situation right there. This guy had issues because a Jewish dude didn't want to bow down to him. And he was like, okay, you don't want to bow to me? I got something for you. All the Jews are going to die because of you. What did he do? Got a law passed. Come on, y'all, y'all don't see me. This is crazy. He got a law passed. He went to the king. King said, yep, put my stamp on it, put my seal, send it throughout the nations. Mordecai comes to Esther and is like, yo, hold on a second, girlfriend. Listen, God brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. He didn't say God because the word, the name God is not mentioned in there, but he said, you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. I know I got my friends up in here that want to correct me, right? I'm just kidding. He brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. And what happens? They have this time of prayer, fasting three days. She's like, if I die, I die. She goes before the king, throws a feast. And then you see God do what? Change the heart of the king. He changed the heart of the king. Can I tell you something? The heart of the king wasn't changed because Esther was beautiful. She was. The heart of the king wasn't changed because the wine was so great. I'm sure it was. The heart of the king was changed because God Almighty turned it. Here's the thing that I want you to get is that God wills the best for us as individuals, and as a nation. Can you all say amen to that? He has the ability to change the heart of leaders for good or bad, meaning judgment or blessing. Did you hear that? You see both in your Bible. He hardened Pharaoh's heart because what? Because Pharaoh was wicked, obstinate. He thought he was a god. He didn't have to honor God. You see Nebuchadnezzar ends up doing what? He ends up being like a beast. Because he would not turn his heart. Because he would not acknowledge where blessing came from. Listen, we cannot forget where blessing comes from. And that goes from the greatest of us to the least of us in this nation. We see God turning these hearts for good or for bad. For judgment or for blessing. But here's what I want you to understand. At the same time, leaders, like all humans, can reject God's wisdom that is crying out and listen to the voice of folly. So what do we do as Christians in a nation, in our nation, when it comes to leaders? Scripturally, the Bible tells us what? To pray for our leaders, does it not? If there's one thing that I've realized more than ever is how desperately our leaders need prayer. 
Pray for our leaders. The second thing the Bible teaches us is that we are to submit to their authority and to the laws that do not violate the scriptures. That is what your Bible, that is what my Bible says clearly. I said this before. I've had plenty of conversations about this. The Bible does not talk about voting because that was not an option when the scriptures were written. So what does that mean? That we don't do it? No. Politically, we have a right to do what? We've been given this freedom. We've been given this, 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 this right. I mean, folks didn't have this right, right? Early, earlier parts of our nation. So now we have this right. And so what do we do? What we do is we pray for our leaders. We submit to our leaders. We listen to our leaders. We learn about our leaders. We learn about them. Listen, can I, can I tell you something? Don't listen to all the garbage about them. Don't listen to all of the mess about them. Listen to their words. For any leader, because I, I'll tell you what, I hate that stuff. I hate it when they twist someone's words. And they tell you half of the truth, and then that becomes the truth that the nation is all over Facebook with. Y'all ain't saying nothing. That's it. Listen to me. Learn about that leader. And then you know what you do? If you feel like that leader is doing right, and when I say leader, I want you to get your mind off the president for a moment, because on your ballot, there are many more leaders to be elected than just presidents. Sit down and get on, your, uh, get on your laptop, whatever. Figure out who's on there. Figure out who's going to be the one to align the most with your, your positions on whatever it is. And then you go ahead and do that. I'm going to give you this. I'm, anyway, I'll give you that advice later. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to give you some practical advice in, in this area. But we have a right to do what? I was talking to a person, not a Christian, not a Christian. Changed his position from 2008, you know, and, and you know, ha has different, you know, different views and things like that today. Here's what he said to me. He said this to me. He's like, look, man, we have a right as a nation to do what? We vote who we want in leadership, period. We think they're doing a good job? Vote for them again. You think they're not? Vote for them not again. That's all you do. That is it. That's a right. You don't fight about it. You, you don't got to fight about it. No. You don't have to. I do sometimes. But anyway. <laughs> Glory to God. Question number three, I already repented, right? Thank you, I appreciate that. She remembered my, my repentance, my confession of sin. The last thing that I want to bring us to, or not the last thing, but almost the last thing. Say almost the last thing. We're almost, we're almost there. We're coming around a third base right now, glory to God. Say this with me. Our blessing as a nation is not found in any man, but in the Lord. Y'all should have shouted for that, glory to God. Look at Proverbs 29, 26. Love this scripture. Proverbs 29, 26 says this. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice comes from the Lord. Many are looking for a man to do something for them. Where does justice come from? Jesus. It comes from him. Sometimes people are going to be unjust. Sometimes people are not going to do what is right. But who remains righteous no matter what? Jesus. Who do we turn to for our blessing? Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches me. Look at chapter 21 of the book of Proverbs as well. Verse 30 to verse 31. In verse 30, it says this. It says, there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. Verse 31, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. It's of God. It's not in a man. It's not to say don't prepare. It's not to say don't be ready. What it's saying is remember who's going to battle. Remember who's fighting for you. Remember who's your advocate. It's Jesus. And you know what? One day someone's going to be your advocate. The next day they're going to be hating you. I love, I, I, I love what I think Mark Driscoll has said, and I've heard Pastor Chad say it before. But whenever you idolize someone, you will ultimately demonize them. Whenever you idolize anything, anyone, eventually they're going to let you down. Eventually you're going to disagree. 
And in our flesh, because all of us, well, it's just me that thinks speaks in the flesh sometimes. We'll say things that we don't, we don't really want to say, or we want to say them at the moment, but we really shouldn't be saying them. We start speaking from the abundance of our heart, right? Stuff starts coming out, which shows us that there's some nasty stuff in our heart. I know you're saved, sanctified. I know you speak in tongues, dance, jump, sing, shout, all that. I know you do it all. And there's still wickedness up in this place. First John tells us that if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where I'm going to get practical with you. I think I've been pretty practical, but I want to get more practical. One of the greatest issues that I see Christians face today is how do we address the issue of politics in a biblical way? I've heard people say this, and let me tell you something. This is the worst thing that you could ever hear. I've heard people say you need to leave faith out of this. I've heard people say you, need to, you, you, need to, you can't vote values. You, listen, I want you to understand something. I'm not telling you yes to all of that. What I am saying is I will say what I said to someone very clearly. It is dangerous to tell people to leave faith out of the decisions that they're making. Don't ever listen to someone who is telling you something like that. Because at the end of the day, it matters very much. That's what should govern our lives. So the first thing, I'm going to give you four things that are mine and then one that is of another pastor's, and that is practical. The first thing is, we need to realize that there is no Christian political party. Oh, y'all should have jumped right now. That, that, that should have been like, amen, hallelujah. There is no Christian political party. And let me tell you something else. If there was a Christian political party, it would still be jacked up. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Listen, what I'm saying is, there is no, I heard someone say, well, maybe we should start a third party. Why? Is that going to fix the problem? No. It's going to add to the problem. But here's what we got to get. There is no Christian political party. Some people want to say, oh, well, you know, Republican, they're more this, they're more that. Democrat, they're more this, they're more that. Listen, neither one of them is a Christian party. All of them have Christians inside the party. And let me say something else. All of their standards, some of them violate Scripture, and others of them support Scripture. Did you hear what I said? So that means they're a mix of bad and good. You want to know why? Because we are a mix of bad and good. Glory to God. There is no Christian party. The second thing that I would say to you is that we need to realize that we are first Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus before anything else. Before anything else, we are followers of Christ. And that's what we need to live for. The third thing that I would say is that we cannot divorce biblical truth from our politics. That's called compartmentalizing your Christianity. That's what that's called. That's called saying, I'm going to let my faith influence me in church. I'm going to let my convictions influence me in my home. It, it, it's the same thing. I, let, let, let's, take, let, let, let's bring it to the house. It's the same thing as me saying, well, you know what? The Bible teaches I should lift up my hands in worship. Amen? The Bible teaches, it doesn't say you have to do it every time, but it says lift up holy hands unto the Lord. The Bible shows me clapping to the Lord. That's something that we should do, right? So the scriptures influence the things that I do. The Bible says that I should sing unto the Lord, right? So all of these things influence that. But what happens to the person who goes home and divorces their biblical belief? Because the Bible also says to me as a husband, love my wife as Christ loves the church. But I come to church, I clap, sing, shout, lift hands, all of that stuff. But when I go home, I divorce my biblical conviction from my treatment of my wife. What is that called? It's called compartmentalizing my faith. You never stop being a Christian. You never stop living by conviction. The moment you do, you begin to dishonor God. Amen. That's what happens. You don't divorce those things. The last thing that I will say is that the Bible speaks to most if not every issue that our nation is facing. It speaks to every issue. You want to talk, talk about economy? Do you think God knows how to run an economy? I think he does. I think he does. You want to talk about any of the issues that are there? Healthcare. You want to talk about t helping people that are, that are sick and are hurting? Do you think God knows how to do that? My Bible talks about all of that stuff. 
So please do not be sucked in to the lies that your Bible doesn't speak to that. That is not true. You need to dig into the scriptures and find out what the Bible says on all of the issues. Now here is where I will give you Pastor Tony Evans' advice. That's Anthony Evans' father. Y'all love his music. You may not know much about his dad. But his dad, but, but here's the thing. that I'll finish this point and I'll get to that one. The Bible speaks to all of the issues that we face as a nation. And because we believe the Bible, you believe the Bible, amen? That means that my position, the, my, my worldview should reflect the scriptures more than the culture, more than any other influence. That's what should happen. It doesn't mean, let me say this, it does not mean that we are going to agree on every single political issue. It's not what that means. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree on party affinity. It doesn't mean that. But what it means is that as a Christian, every decision, every position you have should be affected by the worldview that the scriptures teach. And Pastor Tony Evans, just a practical advice. Some of you have already voted early, I'm sure, because you don't want to wait in them crazy lines. But here's the thing. He said this is what Christians should do. He said they need to get a piece of paper. They need to make four columns on that paper. And the first column, they need to put the issues that are of the day. And the second column, they need to put the political party and their position on it. And the third column, they need to put the political party, their position on it. And the last column, they need to go on ahead and look at what the Bible says on it and look at which one aligns with what the most to the scriptures. In some places, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a wash because neither one of them or they may both be equal on the position. But then here is the thing that I want you to hear. He said this, and you need to figure out what matters to you most. I'm tired of Christians being felt like they cannot have certain issues be primary in their life because they are less spiritual. Did you hear what I just said? For some people, this is, this is primary in their life, and that is okay. And listen, if you choose to be a person that votes because of one issue, that's your, that's your choice. No one has a right to tell you you're wrong. But I'll tell you this, if you're a Christian, you should be open to correction. Because if your opinion on something is unbiblical, you should be open to the voice of wisdom and to the voice of counsel to sit down and look at, is my position correct? Whatever position that may be. No one has a right to tell you what's right or what's wrong. You shouldn't vote because of this. You shouldn't vote because of that. Want to talk about violating free will? Come on, somebody. Mm -hmm. If we truly take the scriptures at face value, then you believe that our blessing comes from the Lord and that his opinion of us as individuals and as a nation is what really matters. Amen? Now listen, I want to bring you to one last place of scripture. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. And we are coming into home plate right now. We are closing Revelation chapter 18, and you got to say so. Now, before we start reading there, I want you to pay attention. I'm going to say some things, then we're going to look at this. What I want you to realize is that, and some of you will get offended when I say this, I do not believe that America was founded as a Christian nation. What I do believe, because you look at the history of our Constitution and all of those different things, our nation has deep roots in biblical obedience. We couldn't be a Christian nation. You want to know why? Because that would have violated the reason why they came to the United States in the first place. Because they did not want the government to dictate religion. And so here's the thing. I believe wholeheartedly that we were, that we were not um, founded as a Christian nation. But what I also want you to realize is that we did have and should have certain values that were maintained. And I will quote um, Pastor Robert Jeffress, who says this, and this is the message that you'll receive, and you can listen to it, and if you want or, or not, it really doesn't matter. I just want to send it to you because I know it blessed my life, and I know that it broke my heart in a huge way and made me understand the urgency of the hour. Over the last 50 years, there have been some real things that have happened in this nation some real decisions that have been morally implosive. And he said something that struck my heart like I've never experienced it before. He said the collapse of America is inevitable. 
The collapse of America is inevitable. Hear me. I am a man of faith, and we're going to practice faith in a moment when we worship together and we pray for our nation. But what I want you to know is, no matter how much we pray, no matter how much we preach, the same way that Nineveh experienced ultimate destruction 150 years later, so will the United States of America. Will it be in 150 years? I have no idea. Times and seasons, I don't know. It's inevitable. I'm going to give you the example, and I'm, I'm going to basically tell you his message. He's going to preach to you for 40 minutes. I'm going to tell you this in two minutes. He said he came to understand this because they have downtown property in Dallas. He's the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. And he said they bought downtown property and see the only way that you can demolish buildings is through implosion. And what you have to do is you have to put dynamite in certain places and that way that dynamite goes off, destroys the infrastructure of the building and then the building collapses on itself and you don't have to pay a bunch of fines to everyone else's building that you destroyed. Hallelujah. If any of you have been in church construction, you know that money is not easy to come by. So he realized this and he said he was there. He saw the way that this occurred. And he said that he's recognized some things. And listen, this is an older man than me, and so I'm going to take the wisdom of this gray head, and I'm going to share it with you. You can agree with it or disagree with it. It really is not up to me to judge your heart. I want you to hear what he said. He said these massive explosions began in 1960. They took prayer out of schools. They began to question the right to read the Bible in schools. And ultimately what happens is in the beginning of this time, what we have, or the beginning of the school system, it was Christians who started school education because what? They wanted to help people be literate. And so we had this issue. People voted against this, people who don't want to hear about God. And so we have this happen. Obviously, things begin to get worse. They're not going to get any better. About 10 years later, we have the whole case with the Roe v. Wade. Listen, we have different positions on that. But here's the point. The point is, murder of 50 million babies, God's not pleased with that. Period. I don't care how we slice that. You look at Israel, the only nation, right, that was, that was God's nation, that was called his nation. When they were sacrificing their children to Moloch and all of this different kind of stuff, what did God do? God sent them into captivity because of those things. Today, I'm going to tell you what, the, what, what, what it's going to be to me. This is my opinion on this. The greatest explosion. It is the fight that we're having right now about marriage. Years ago, Bill Clinton was the one that signed it into office. It's called the Defense of Marriage Act on the federal level. And it's where the federal government recognized what? They recognized marriage between one man and one woman. And listen to me. Those laws are being challenged today. You believe your Bible or you don't, but I know this. I see God destroying nations that didn't even have one commandment. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have a commandment, did they? And yet God destroyed them because of what? Because of their immorality. See, the issue is not about people choosing their free will to do something. It is when the highest courts in our nation say, we don't care about the laws of God. We do not care about the moral standards that founded this nation. And let me tell you something. They were imperfect. Because anyone that knows history, slavery is an immoral thing. Can I get an amen? amen? And in this nation, they had slavery in the beginning, I think until like 1864 or something like that, when they abolished that, right? The point of the matter is, it wasn't because men are perfect. We're not asking for perfection. We're asking for reverence for the God who is recognized in our Constitution. And what happens is, when the highest courts in the land make decisions like that, what they're saying is, this is what our nation is about. And for those of you that have been through undercover, right, y'all have been there with me, amen? And y'all understand the way that God looks at authority. You submit to the authority. You submit to them. God is going to keep you. You know why? Because you're a Christian. You love Jesus and you walk with Jesus and you serve. You submit to those authorities. That doesn't mean judgment doesn't come. That does not mean judgment does not come. And so listen. For us, as, 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 as we look at these scriptures, I want you to look at the book of Revelation chapter 18, and I want us to read this together. I want you to see what happens. We're going to read about 19 verses. Raphael, you can come, please, if you would. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, 
having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now, let me pause for a moment before we keep reading here, because a lot of times people get confused with the book of Revelation. And what happens is they miss whatever whatever's going on. And when you look at this particular story, no matter what your position is on eschatology, eschatology meaning the study of end times, no matter what your position is on this, everyone agrees that this this scene that we're looking at here in chapter 18 is occurring during the tribulation period. Now, I've preached to you and I've told you that there is no scripture that supports, and I want to be clear on this, there is no scripture that supports a pre-tribulation rapture. Are you hearing me? You may be able to argue for a mid-tribulation. You may even be able to argue for an end-tribulation. But if you really get down to Scripture and you don't allow Scripture to explain away Scripture, you can't, you can't believe that you are not going to experience this. And I'm going to show you in these Scriptures why you can't believe that. Because this Scripture is going to show you clearly that you cannot believe that you're not going to be here. And when I say you, I don't mean you individually. You may die way before any of this happens. But what you need to get is that this is a picture of what is happening during the tribulation period. This is what is happening after the Antichrist has already been on the scene, after the political, the, the, you know, the one world government. Don't think that that's just some kind of thing that's going on. No, that is real stuff. There will be a one world government. There will, there will be a one economy. There will be a one world religion. And all of that stuff is in the makings right now, right where we are. And it's going to happen inevitably. Why? Because the book says it. But here's what the scriptures say, and this is why I want you to, this is what shook me so deeply. Pastor Jeffers didn't read the scriptures. It was because I had a conversation with someone who said, God no longer deals with nations like he did in the Old Testament. And I began to look at, I began to see, I want you to know something. When someone says something like that to me, I can't, I, until I look at my Bible, I can't sleep. Seriously. I will lay in my bed, I will count scriptures, count sheep, I pray for you, and I will still be laying there wide awake like, okay, I need to look this up. And I laid down, I looked at this scripture, and I said, does God still deal with nations? It says this, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. It says this, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of, of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven, and this is where you'll know that we're here, saying, Come out from her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins, her sins, judgment is coming because of this political, economic, religious leader, because she has led the nations astray. Her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her, and this is, this is a prayer to God, render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to you, and repay her double according to her works, and the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and will not, be, and, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord who judges her. Now listen, if you keep reading these scriptures, you're going to see something. The kings of the earth, the mariners, and merchants all weep over her destruction. They don't weep because of their sin. They weep because their financial stability is gone. Listen to me. If you saw here and you read here, they were rich under her leadership. They were rich. What does the Bible say there? They were bankrupt spiritually. They were bankrupt morally. 
The nations bought into this. Church, hear me. We are part of the United States of America. Are you hearing me? We are not of this world, but we are in this world. And here's what I, what, what I pray, is that you realize who holds our economy in his hands. Who holds the sick and the hurting in his hands. That you will understand who holds us in his hands. And who is the one that blesses? Because I want you to get this. And this is why I trembled. Because I realized that everything was going good. And in one day, it was all gone. In one day. Some translation says in one hour, it was all gone. And so hear the gospel in this. Come out from among them. Don't agree with the world system. Don't agree with the unrighteousness of the land. Don't agree with it. Jeremiah, when the children of Israel were taken into captivity into Babylon, Jeremiah writes them a letter in chapter 29, and he tells them what? He tells them, pray for the land that you are in. Pray for its peace, because in its peace, you will have peace. What was he telling them to do? Pray for the land where they are. Cry out to God. So here's the thing. America's collapse, it's inevitable. That's not going to change. The nations of the world will experience judgment. But you know what can change? Your position. You don't have to experience judgment. You don't have to agree with ungodliness. You do not have to be stuck in an inevitable situation. Because Jesus offers us life. Listen, you've heard this before. We are all sinners. We all violate God's law. We all break God's heart. All of us do. Every one of us that is in here. The difference is, some of us, we put our faith in Jesus. Some of us have put our faith in Jesus. Others of us have not. Some of us have recognized our lifestyle is sinful. Others of, others of us have not. For those of you that have recognized that, you put your faith in Jesus, I hope you're praying right now. Because there's other people in here that have not put their faith in Jesus. There's other people in here that have not come out. There's other people. God always calls his people. He calls them out of darkness. But today, today's an opportunity for you to come out. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in him, today is that opportunity. What do we do as Christians in an inevitable situation? What do we do? Do we just sit down and just twiddle our thumbs? Well, this is going to happen. Woe is us. It is what it is. Is that what we do? Jesus calls us salt. He calls us salt. Say this with me. I'm a follower of Jesus. Therefore, I'm the salt of the earth. Specifically, I'm the salt of this nation. Let me tell you something. My wife and I were talking, and I understood something about salt. Salt doesn't take on the properties of what it's put on. That's what happens. It alters what it's put on. That's what it does. It changes things. It changes things. Listen, don't let the world system alter you. Jesus said, salt is no good if it loses its saltiness. And I looked this up because I'm like, how on earth does salt lose its saltiness? And from a scientific perspective, the salt that we have, you know, our table salt, it will never lose its saltiness. It has to become something different to not be salt because it is so concentrated. But the salt that Jesus was talking about in those days and in those times was not a pure salt like that. It was sea salt, and it had all of these different impurities. And whenever the salt was, was, was cared for in an improper way and it got moist, the salt would lose its saltiness. It was a storage issue. It was a storage problem. Don't lose your saltiness. Hide God's word in your heart. Please don't sin against him. In any area, listen, hear me when I say this. 
Politics are tough to navigate in. Amen? It's tough. That's why I tell everyone, pray. Ask God. Weigh things out. See what matters. You do what you need to do. But in all things, be the salt of the earth. Because here's the beauty of what salt does. I know we think about flavor. But the reason why they used salt in those days is because they didn't have refrigeration. And so what salt did was salt slowed the decay. Did you hear the word? I didn't say stop the decay. It slowed the decay. We're going to experience collapse inevitably. But when? Just like Nineveh. How will we as a people of faith and as a nation respond to God? I quote Dr. David Jeremiah. He wrote many, many books about this nation, and he has gone around the world, and they ask him this question all the time. They say, is God done with America? And he said, that's the wrong question. The question is, is America done with God? Let's stand to our feet, please.